Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 to 13. This is what it says. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all become drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry, the cry rang out, here's the, bride, here, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some of yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. Morning, church. In Scouting for Boys, Robert Baden-Powell explains the scout motto, Be prepared. What that means is you are in a state, always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. I submit that that is not just a motto for the Boy Scouts. It's a motto and should be a motto for every individual, particularly for those who are Christians. Because this warning of being prepared is sounded many times and in several different places in Scripture. In this parable, these individuals were to be prepared for an important event, a wedding feast. So let's talk about weddings for a moment. Weddings are happy times. It's when two people pledge their love to each other, forsaking all others until death separates them, pledging love and loyalty for better or worse in sickness and in health. Weddings take a lot of time. A lot of planning goes into weddings. Sometimes, I understand, up to two years. I started thinking about the cost of weddings. I have heard people talk about that once, once in a while. So I decided if I could find out something. So I went to trusty Google. And Google tells me that weddings now cost $30,000, $30,717. Now I'm not sure if that includes the honeymoon. And I'm, I don't even think that talks about a destination wedding. Because I think most of us don't even want to know what a destination wedding costs. But weddings are important. In fact, Jesus' first wonder or sign, or as we often call the miracle, was done at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the other few weeks ago, we talked about uh, wedding feasts uh, in our uh, midweek class. And Sean LeBlanc uh, shared this with us, and I asked him to send it to me. It is Jewish weddings, first century style. 
When a Jewish young man wished to marry a particular young girl, it was customary for the prospective groom's father first to approach the girl's father with a proposal of marriage. The two men would discuss this possible union, including the price offered by the groom for the bride. If the, father's, if the father of the bride agreed to the price or the suggested amount, the two men sealed the agreement with a toast of wine. The potential bride then entered a room whereupon the prospective groom proclaimed his love for her and asked her to be his bride. If the young woman wished to be his wife, she accepted his proposal at this time. The validation of the agreement made by the engaged couple was the presentation of a gift by the groom. He offered it in the presence of all of at least two witnesses. As he gave this gift, usually a ring, he said to his intended bride, Behold, you are consecrated unto me with this ring, according to the laws of Moses and Israel. Arrangements were then made concerning the terms of the, of the marriage. A written contract uh, listed the time, the place, and the size of the wedding, and as including the recording of the dowry and the terms of maintenance of the marriage. And uh, the whole ceremony was called, and I hope I get this right, the Shadukim, or engagement. The Bible refers to the status of the prospective bride and groom as a spousal or betrothal. It meant that they were committed to each other to be married. The only parts of the marriage not yet completed were the formal hapa ceremony followed by their physical union. This betrothal was considered so binding that the only way to break it was by an actual bill of divorcement. So the engagement, the commitment to become married was very, very important. The groom then departed, but not before he assured the bride with promises of building a home for her and returning to complete the marriage ceremony. He usually took a year to prepare her new home, which often consisted of an addition built onto his father's house, the bride was expected to remain true to her husband as she prepared herself and her trousseau. She lived for the day of his return, for her which would be heralded by a shout from the members of the wedding party. The impending return of the groom was to influence the bride's behavior during the engagement or espousal period. Get this, the typical Jewish wedding ceremony took place at night. As soon as the members of the wedding spotted the moving torches signaling the groom's approach, the cry echoed through the streets, the bridegroom is coming. Upon hearing that announcement, the excited bride would drop everything in order to slip into her wedding dress and complete her final uh, personal prep preparations for marriage. I think that's her hair and her makeup, ladies. Rather than the groom entering the bride's house, the bride came out to meet him. The two, accompanied by the wedding party, returned together to the groom's home for the marriage ceremony. Following the public ceremony, the newlyweds entered their bridal chamber to be intimate with each other for the first time. After this union, the groom came out and announced to the wedding guests, Our marriage is consummated. Upon receiving that glad news, the wedding party began, the festive part of it which was usually about a seven-day period. And so we see how important uh, weddings were in the first century, how important they are 
in the society we live in. And our topic this morning is the parable of the ten virgins. In this, Jesus, in this uh, parable, Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is comparable to ten virgins. It's not really about ten young unmarried virgin girls. It's actually a message to believers to be prepared. In this me- message of preparation, of being ready, it is a parable of the second coming and the judgment. But let's look at at those, and this sermon only has two main points, by the way. The first one is those who are foolish. In Matthew 25, verse 2, it says five of these, these virgins were foolish. Scripture warns us something very serious, that we are not to call another person a fool. We don't have that right. Listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you that everyone who is, who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. See, we don't have a right ever, under any circumstances, to call another person a fool. But the Bible warns us not to be foolish. And all of us have been foolish at times. All of us have made wrong wrong decisions. In fact, all of us have made some boneheaded decisions. All of us would like to have a mulligan at times for something we have said or done. Now, some of you don't even know what a mulligan is. If you're a golfer, you know what a mulligan is. It's a do-over. When all of a sudden you shoot that ball and it takes off right into the, uh, into the woods or into the creek, your partner will sometimes say, that's a mulligan. What they're saying is you get a, another free try. You get a do-over. You don't have to count that one. And all of us would like to be able to do that. But you know what? Professional golfers don't get that privilege. If they sail it into the woods or into the creek, it's, it counts. It's actually two-stroke penalty. And so when they shoot their next ball, they're actually shooting three. And so all of us have done things that we would like to be able to do over. I've done it many times. Got my mouth in gear before my brain was active. I've done things that I'm sorry about and wish I could do over again if I'd only considered the course of action. But who are the foolish in this parable? Well, we just read it. It was the five virgins who took no oil for for their lamps. And really, the the lamp and the oil is is symbols here of of being prepared and not being prepared. The foolish are unprepared for the coming of the bridegroom. In this case, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I mentioned, the parable is really about uh, two believers who are members of the Lord's body, the church, to be prepared. Because there is a great day coming when we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And I want to read what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. It says, for we must all, that's every one of us, I'm going to stand there, you're going to stand there. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, 
that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, it doesn't matter what my parents believe. I've had people tell me that. When I've been trying to study with them and, and, and present the gospel of Christ to them, there have been people who've told me, well, I'll, you know, my, my parents or my grandparents didn't believe that. Or I'll have to check with my preacher. Guess what? They're not going to stand there on your behalf. You're going to stand there in your own shoes, so to speak, before the judgment seat of Christ. It doesn't matter how faithful those of your family have been or have not been. It depends on how faithful you are when that great day comes. When that day comes, many who are foolish will be unprepared. And we don't know when that day is. Jesus says in Matthew 24, but of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. See, that great day is going to come upon us suddenly. And there are going to be so many people who are unaware. I'm thankful that you're here today because you're trying to prepare yourself. And be ready for that day whenever it does occur. Thinking back to the warnings of Scripture to be prepared. Recently, Jay spoke to us on the parable uh, of the wedding feast in Matthew chapter 22. And I'd just like to go back there for a moment and pick that up in verses 2 and 3. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited been invited to the wedding feast, and they were unwilling to come. That talks about so many people who are alive today. The invitation is open, but so many are unwilling to come because we get to make up our minds on these things, folks. We decide whether we are willing or unwilling to come to the wedding feast. Many people will not prepare themselves because they are unwilling to give up a sinful lifestyle. Others may think, I have lots of time. Still others are procrastinators. I'll get around to it someday. What happens is like most people. I have lots of time all of a sudden. The door is knocked on and your life is over. And you go into eternity unprepared. Or like most procrastinators, getting around to it someday or tomorrow. Someday, you've probably heard that saying, someday never comes. That's literally true. Someday never comes. Because it's today is the only day that you have. Let me read to you an example of what I'm, what I'm talking about here. About procrastination. In Matthew, or sorry, in Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, this talks about, about Felix. But some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewish, a Jewess, and went for, and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. Now, these two people weren't supposed to be together. 
This woman was actually the wife of his brother. And so they weren't supposed to be together. I think I've got that mixed up. Sorry. Felix arrived with Drusilla. His wife was a Jew- Jewess and sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. And as he was discussing righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened and said, Go away for the present, and when I find time, I will summon you. You know, history does not record that Felix ever found the time to do what needed to be done. And so this man is an example that convenient days for becoming Christians, for some people, will never arise. arrive. He probably put thoughts of the judgment completely out of his mind. And the danger of being a procrastinator is vividly described in Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So there's the foolish folks, people who are viewed as foolish. They never find a convenient day to become a Christian. Or as a Christian, they maybe are not living the way they ought, giving lip service. But Christianity is a 24-7 situation. Secondly, those who are wise. Matthew 25, verse 4 says that the that five were prudent, or, it, that's what I read, the New American Standard, says they were prudent, and that's a word we don't usually use, do we? If you have somebody come up to you and says, you know, you know, uh, Tim, you're a prudent guy, don't be insulted. It just means that you're a wise person, and it is important to be viewed as being wise. Verse uh, 7 also talks about the ones who were wise. They arose and trimmed their lamps when they heard that cry of the bridegroom. They were ready. Verse 9, But the prudent or the wise answered, saying to those who are unwise, No, there will not be enough for us, and you too go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. Prudent or wise meanings means carefully planning ahead of time, to be sensible, to be discreet, The wise live in readiness for the Lord's return. And as we think about this being prudent or planning wise carefully ahead, the thought crossed my mind of people who lived through the dirty 30s or the Great Depression. Uh, Some of you uh, maybe haven't even heard much about that, or if you had, it's been a, a passing reference in some kind of a history book. But the dirty 30s was a very difficult time that started in 1929 with the great, the great crash of the stock market. And it, it extended through 39. And then in 1939, World War II started with economic, develop, uh, with economic problems. And I had one gentleman tell me those economic problems carried on right to the mid-1960s. 
And as I recall, that was probably very true. But those who lived through the Great Depression, one thing I have noticed about a lot of those people, first off, first off, just about by and large, I can't think of any people, any of those who lived through the Great Depression who were not hospitable people, who are not always ready to give you something to eat. And you know, the people who lived through that Great Depression very often keep their freezers full and their pantries full of food just in case. For instance, my father-in-law, who lived through that, who's now coming 89 years old, you won't just find one jar of cheese Whiz in his pantry. You'll find six. And so that's the way many people who, who live. They, were, they want to be prepared just in case. The wise, according to Solomon, and I, I had to go here. Sorry, you probably knew I was going to do this, but... Uh, this gives such good descriptions of what being, what being wise means. So Solomon says, in this wealth of information about wisdom, in Proverbs chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior, righteousness, justice, and equity, that's wise behavior. Righteousness, justice, and equity. To give prudence, there's that word again, to the naive, to the youth knowledge and discretion. A wise man will hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. What are the rewards of the wise? Flip over to Proverbs chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. My son, do not forget my teaching, and let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good repute in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understandings, your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will bring healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Notice what wisdom and making the right choices in life will do. According to Solomon, it will add length of days and years of life. It will bring peace. It will bring favor and good repute or a good report with God and men. It will bring healing to your body. It will bring refreshment to your bones. What a blessing that is. What a blessing wisdom is for those who will take it in and learn by it. The parable of the ten virgins has an important lesson for today. As I mentioned, it's primarily to those who believe. But I also want to say that there can be a larger application of this, this parable as well. Because, you see, there's two groups of people in this world. Either 
the sheep or the goats. The sheep get to go to heaven. The goats go to a horrible place. In Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 36, you can read that for yourself. There are two roads that people will walk through life. And you will end up on one road or the other. The broad road that leads to destruction or the narrow road that leads to life everlasting in heaven. Matthew 7, verses 13 through 14. And it depends on whether you have given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ through submission and obedience to the gospel that you will be counted as a sheep and that you will be able to walk that narrow road that leads to heaven above. Submission and obedience are some of the hardest things that we self-willed human beings have to deal with. And that's the reason why so many people refuse to let Christ be Lord of their life because they want to be Lord of their life. And that's so very evident in the narcissistic society we live in, when it's all about me and all about myself. Look, I I can hardly watch the commercials. Most of the times I put them on mute because just about every one of them, it's all about narcissism and me and, and making me happy. Submission and obedience are so very, very important. The question is, would you consider yourself as one of the wise, or would you say, huh, I think maybe I'm foolish. Jesus teaches the danger of being foolish in this parable. He also teaches the importance of being wise. And I'd also submit there is no age restriction on whether one can be wise or foolish. Because that's a decision that we each get to make. We choose the direction of our life. We choose where our life is going to end. And I can think no better way to put it than was done by Joshua, the servant of the Lord, many centuries ago. May this be a decision that if you have not already made it, that you will think about it and make this today. As Joshua says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 15. If any of you who are here today, who have been a procrastinator, who have been thinking about it, about becoming a Christian, today is the day. Make that decision so that you will be the wise. If you need to make that decision, come forward as we stand to sing.